once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Isaiah lived in a very unsettled time. Chapter 8 of Isaiah outlines the coming Assyrian conquests and the anguish that would bring. It is out of that darkness that the light shines and the Prince of Peace comes. Do the battles within your own life have you yearning for a Prince of Peace? Teaching team member David McNeely wraps up the series The Great Rescue with this message entitled Prince of Peace, which covers Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Thank you for joining us today. This morning I'm going to finish a series that Randy started. We'll hit that in just a second. But I don't know if you had an opportunity to be at Perimeter over this past week. But what an amazing week. Last week, we had Global Spotlight, and there was this group from Poland that came here. And on this stage, they had this riser set up and this choir, and they were wearing robes. And I walk in, and it's this great robes, which is what I grew up with. The Presbyterian church and all the liturgy. And, you know, you, you had to get permission to sneeze in the service in the church you grew up in. And so I see this, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be so glorious. And I look on there, and I see them. I get to cheat. I'm a pastor, so I have a little behind-the-scenes stuff to know what's coming up in the service. So I pull up my little iPad, and I go, oh, they're going to sing the Balm and Gilead. <laughs> I'm going back to my childhood. There is a Balm <laughs> in Gilead. So I'm thinking that's what's going to happen. And, uh, and from the moment they opened their mouths and went, Dorothy, we are not in Kansas anymore. This is, it, they, I thought they're from Poland. European people. I'm European. That was not European, what I saw right there. And it was awesome. My son on the way home. So we did the morning service and we did the night service and and so I'm both services, I could not resist watching you. Yes, I should be engaging with the Lord. Yes, I should have been worshiping him at that moment, but I could not resist just watching you in the process. It was awesome. The little motions that we had to learn to, to do that, and I'm watching you. And I couldn't help but think of Elaine on Seinfeld. You know? Then we had the little twirl thing, and I'm going, oh, it's, it's, it's Carlton, you know. <laughs> and I can't even do it right now. I can't even make it happen. That's it. it was a blast. Loved it. So thankful for it um, and, and thrilled to death that God allowed us to experience uh, that. Then on Thursday night, I walked in here, and I had the privilege of uh, uh, introducing the evening. And then this, this ginormous dude comes and stands on stage and delivers. Matt, his name is Matt Chandler from uh, Dallas, Texas. And he talks about the Song of Solomon. He talked for over two hours. It was broken up in between, but just two hours of just pouring forth speech about what the Bible has to say about marriage. About dating, about courting, about marriage. Even pursuing your wife within the context of marriage, about honoring her. And I've never, I've never heard a full sermon from him. 
So I, I'd heard little snippets and clips. Somebody sent me something really funny one time that I enjoyed watching, but I'd never heard a whole sermon. And so I, this guy was like a wind-up doll. That, you know, and then I thought I talked fast. But this guy, and he's going all over. And it was so biblical, so rich, so true, so anointed. And I, I was put into the presence of Jesus. And I walked out of here um, uh, that night on my way to the parking lot, to my car. And I'm thinking, I'm really, I'm, I'm thinking and begging and pleading, oh, God, make me that man. I want to be that man that loves Judith that way. And I'm, I'm not there. And it was so refreshing to see the, it was up on the screens and the, the standard that God puts up there. I said, I am, I mean, woe is me. And yet, Jesus can get me there. So I was challenged and motivated. It was, it was glorious. This has been a fantastic week at Perimeter. And I wondered in my own life, as I was preparing for this particular message, I wonder if I experienced things like that where I have this amazing experience a week ago, amazing experience right here, this amazing experience on Thursday night, I walk away, and then I, I go back into the mundane, into my normal, everyday, average living that is really just not that exciting. And when I don't have some people here showing me the movements to make, and I try to do that in my own personal space, it just looks awkward. And it feels awkward. I wonder if you feel like that with peace. Do you feel like there are moments that you have in life where you are in the midst of life as is happening and you sense this anxiety and, and uh, this utter lack of peace that's taking place and then you finally reach it. You get to that place and there's a calm. But it never really stays, does it? We get to taste it. We get to experience it, and it's real. It's legitimate. It's not something that we have uh, faked, although we're good at that as well. But when it comes and it's real, it, and then we say, oh, God, why can't I just stay there? It's primarily because of this. Please hear this. If you hear nothing else this morning, please walk away with this in your mind. Ultimate peace is still yet to come. Peace is offered right now, but ultimate peace is still yet to come, and we must believe that by faith. Randy has kicked us off on this series, The Great Rescue, in which we are being rescued from something. Ultimately, yes, sin and, and, and the power of sin, the penalty of sin, these are many things we have been rescued from, but I would say and it's appropriate that I have been rescued from me. I am being rescued from me by God. So in the one sense, I have been rescued eternally. He has redeemed my soul. He has birthed something inside of me that I can't take credit for. It's a new heart. It was a heart of stone that has been replaced by a heart of flesh that is now beating. I'm spiritually alive. My eternity is set because of the work of Christ. I will be in his presence for all of eternity. All of that is true. And yet I wonder in my mind, though, I, I, I really do, I often wonder, do I trust him with only the eternal thing without trusting him with the temporal thing, knowing that peace is ultimately coming, knowing that I have to endure some things right now? I wonder, am I better at trusting God with the huge things of my life rather than just the mundane? 
I'll just give you some examples. In fact, let me do this. I wanted to do this this morning so that you wouldn't think I was just cherry picking and pulling things out here and there. I just opened this up this morning. I see it is refreshed and it's actually a little different, which is even better. USA Today. USA Today, this is the front page on the web and here is what this has to say about the ongoing peace that's in our world. Round two, airline waves fees and cancels flight for the new impending storm. Super Bowl X, L, X, something, viewing guide, timeline, and highlights. Jordan renews hostage swap after ISIS killing. Bobby Christina Brown in a medically induced coma. Obama to propose $478 billion road and bridge program. Clinton maintains big lead in new Iowa poll. There is a winner, I won't spoil it for you, of the Australian Open tennis tournament. Boy, three years old, wounds mom and dad with one shot. This is just the highlights just this morning of what's going on in our world. It it would be really easy for anyone who is here, um, whether you're a skeptic or not, it'd be easy for any of us to say, God of peace? What do you mean, God of peace? In our own country, just in in the recent history, we have experienced that we are not there yet with racial peace. Do we even need to discuss the lack of political peace? Familial peace in our own families, we oftentimes don't experience the peace that it is that we so desperately long for. Employers and employees, there's certainly conflict, but even what I'm talking about now is this internal thing. So yes, there is strife, there is conflict out amongst us, but there's also this strife and this conflict internally inside of us. And when we are left alone, when we are left to our own abilities and, and, and vices, then we will always have conflict with others. We will have even conflict with our very own self internally. And what oftentimes results is a tremendous level of fear. What I would say is that ultimately none of that is going to go away unless we deal with the ultimate conflict, and the ultimate conflict is between man and God. And God has offered peace. He has sent out an olive branch. He has sent a stump, a root of Jesse, and he has offered peace eternally, even temporal. But I fear that we trust him with the big thing without really trusting him with the little thing. So Randy kicked us off on this series. The first one was on wonderful counselor, the four names that are given to this promised child. It comes from Isaiah chapter 9. And there's this child that is coming at some point down the future. Isaiah doesn't have the exact date in mind. He just knew that at some point a child was going to be born, and that child was going to be given four names, Wonderful Counselor, meaning he is the one that has the plan on how to rescue us, and he will execute that plan. He is also a mighty God. Mighty God meaning not just that he has the plan, he actually possesses the ability to do something about it. He's a heroic God. He is powerful. He is awesome. He is mighty. He is capable of doing what only he can do. What was last week? 
Do you remember? Everlasting Father. I don't know how many of you this resonated with. Because we have a different picture of our father. It could be that we had a horrific background with our father. It could be we had a great background with our father. But when we hear that term father, there's almost nothing that elicits more of an emotional response than this. And Jesus says, I'm the eternal father. I'll never stop being that. And the great news is, is that he is good. Can I ask you, do you really believe in the depths of your soul? Do you really believe that he is good? Because the way that we view this outside, this, the, the storm that is happening in our life, the, the, the circumstances that we are living life in, that we're engaged in, the, the way that we see this is going to be determined by the way we view him. Our view of him is everything. And so some of us would say, I don't think that there's God a peace at all. When you look at the context of my life, when you see what's happening, I have begged God and begged God and begged God to do something about the relationship with my child, whether you're a, a biological parent or, a, or an adoptive parent or a step-parent. It doesn't matter. You've, you've begged and begged, and, and yet the conflict is still happening. There's still this budding of heads that's taking place. God a peace? You've begged God to do something at your workplace. You said, God, I want peace. I want to bring a level of health and, and structure. I, I want to, people to use their gifts and talents. And so you, in a position of authority, have asked God to bring about the circumstances where you can provide blessing for all those who work underneath you. And yet what God has done instead is he's brought about circumstances in which you now have to lay off 75 people. God of peace. Some of you have begged and begged and begged, oh, God, I will do whatever it is that you tell me to do. Would you somehow fix this mess that my wife and I are in or my husband and I are in? Would you? And this morning, it's all you can do just to sit next to that person. You get this. God of peace. Last little bit before we get into our text, but the the thing that you must know is that God is after not just the ceasing of this. He's after what Danny talked about. He's after the shalom. Where there's flourishing and there's thriving. God just doesn't want you to have a marriage that doesn't argue. He wants you to have a marriage that argues with one another. He doesn't want you to have a relationship with your child where there just simply is the absence of conflict. He wants you to have a relationship with your child that in the midst of the conflict, there's this. We could go on and on. It's, it's not just got a peace. Last quote. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, writes about this. He writes about our perception of God, how we view who God is, how, he, how we view that is going to determine everything. Listen to this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. 
So if we view God as a God who sends a grand invitation that says, come, in the midst of your chaos, come, then we'll come. But if we view him as a God who stands back aloof and says, get it together, we will forever be in pain. When Isaiah wrote that there would be this prince of peace, he was referring specifically to a man who would be born about a thousand years later, less than that, but somewhere in that neighborhood. About a thousand years later, this guy would be born to a woman who was a virgin, meaning she had actually never been with a man before this, and it was a sign that was to be given to them. It was this special child. He was unlike any other child that would be given. And when they saw this, they knew that this was the one to, to lean into, and so He's given these names, and I'm so thankful God gave us these names to a reminder. He puts it down on paper so that when we forget, he really is a wonderful counselor. When we forget that he is a mighty God, and we forget that he is an everlasting father, we have his word to go to to remind us this. And so he was born. He was born likely in a cave. Few people around understood it and knew it. There was a couple of folks that gathered around to bring him some gifts, but by and large, the world had no clue who it was that was coming. And, and he lives. His name is Jesus. And if we are going to experience peace, not just know that peace is available, but experience the peace of God, if we are going to do that, and there's two things that must be guiding principles for us. Number one, we must understand that as Prince of Peace, Jesus is our sovereign ruler. He fulfills our need for a sovereign ruler. See, again, when left to ourselves, we will enter into all of this conflict, and what we need is somebody else to, to enter into this mess. We need a, uh, regardless of what you think about his politics, surely everyone acknowledges that Jimmy Carter is just a good man. And Jimmy Carter has made a living after his presidency of walking into places and countries, and he's, he's helped to negotiate peace because these two can't get it together, and so we need someone to come in and do that. And Jesus is the one who fulfills that need. He fulfills it as a sovereign ruler, meaning he can make happen whatever he wants to make happen. In your Bibles... Go back just to, I'm sorry, go forward just a couple of chapters from Isaiah 9, which we didn't read, I apologize, to Isaiah chapter 11. The prediction given in Isaiah 9, he's going to talk a little bit more about what's going to happen and listen as he unpacks this story of the rain. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah tells us that there's going to come one in the line of Jesse. He lets us know that he's coming through the line of David. When he says that that's through Jesse, everybody says, yes, we're getting back to the days of David. It's going to be great. It's going to be a king like him. And what he's actually saying in here is it's not just that he'll be like David. He will be a better David. David was a great king, a deeply flawed king, but he was a king after God's own heart. And so the people, when they heard this, when they would have heard this, said, yes, oh, Lord, come quickly, bring the day in which that great king will come. But look at this. This is amazing. Isaiah not only says he's from the line of David, he actually says he's from the root of Jesse, which means that he was there before Jesse was there. He's the one who actually raised Jesse up, raised David up. He's the one who comes in the line of David, but he was there before David. He's the better David. And the spirit 
of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The spirit of God is going to rest on him permanently, not being here for a moment and then gone. He's going to come and rest on him consistently and give him these characteristics. He's going to be wise and he's going to be understanding, meaning he's going to be able to understand the specifics about what it is that you're enduring. He can peer into it. He gets it. He doesn't stand back aloof. He knows exactly where you are. It is the spirit of counsel and of might. He knows what needs to happen, and he also possesses the ability to do it. He will pursue it with a relentless aggression. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord This is the experiential knowledge. He has the knowledge of the Lord. He has the awe and the respect of the Lord. He reveres him. This is a man who experiences God and beholds God. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. His delight is in the Lord. He's not trying to impress anybody else around. He's living a life that is Godward-centered, and as long as the yes and amen and the well done comes from here, he's, he's doing well. And then it says that he's actually not going to judge by what his eyes see and what his ears hear, meaning he's not just going to be deceived and fooled by what people would say. He's going to bring about righteous judgments. Look at the next verse. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Meaning that he is not going to show favor to the poor simply because they are poor. He is not going to show favor to the rich simply because they are rich. He is going to be able to discern, see exactly what needs to happen, and justice will be brought regardless of who you are. He is impressed with no man. Now, for the poor in spirit who come to him, he pours out his favor. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. just means this, that when he speaks judgment, pronounces judgment upon him, it will be accomplished. Righteous judgment. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The clothing that marks who he is, that shows us who he is, is righteousness. Faithfulness is his belt, meaning he's ready for action. He has the moral goodness, and he has the steadfast loyalty to accomplish it. Now it gets freaky. The wolf shall lie or shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. He talks about predator, and he talks about prey, and he talks about how those who once cowered in fear, those who ran literally for their life, trying to get away from one who is bigger, faster, stronger, and badder, are actually going to sit down and just enjoy time together. Not just the lack of conflict, as in the two are going to sit down, enjoy the company of each other. And who's going to lead them in this way? The child with four names. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw 
like the ox. He's saying that there is a literal change internally where, where something happens and it happens forever because the children that are born after them follow in the same pattern. They're doing things that are not natural to them. They are, they are transformed. They are renewed. They are different internally. I, I got to pause. When we think about peace, this is what we think about, is it not? We are all smart enough and bright enough to know that we're not going to eventually get to the place through our own goodness, through our own character, through our own trying, where where there's finally going to be the lack of conflict in the world. We all understand that. What we want is peace in the midst of that conflict. And that's what he's saying here. There's going to be this internal change. Now, there will be no external conflict, but the external change will happen. He closes with this. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The child who is helpless in this process is actually going to go and hang out with the snake. We're going right back to the garden where the serpent deceived and he brought about devastating consequences. And now it's going to be the smallest of children that's going to walk into the presence. Here, come on, let's play. Not even I, who have an unhealthy, unnatural fear of snakes, will be afraid of them at that point. We'll watch the scene go forth and we'll say, oh, cool, Johnny's playing with a viper. Why? Because finally, The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. There won't be one square inch in all of creation that does not cry out, I am yours. And we will have peace. Now that's not here yet. But what the scriptures tell us is that Jesus is the sovereign ruler. He can make anything happen. And what does he want to make happen? He wants to make this happen for us. So you can search for it deep within yourself if you want. You can try to find your little happy place that you go to when all of life is is falling apart around you. You can do the best you can to search deep inside, but I'm telling you, it ain't coming. Got to have a sovereign ruler that can bring it. But not just a sovereign ruler who is bad. We're talking about a sovereign ruler who is good. So the second thing, Jesus also, as Prince of Peace, fulfills our need As a caring shepherd. Think of it this way. He is great, but he is also good. Real quickly, turn over to John. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. I want to read to you in the beginning of verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired man, hand, and not a shepherd... Who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them, and he flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock 
and one shepherd. He just talks about this shepherd that if you have a hired hand who sees impending danger coming, they flee because they don't own the sheep. Jesus says, I own you. I am sovereign ruler over you. How do I use my power? By serving you. By literally laying my life down for you. I know you know this. My question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that his mercies literally are new every single morning, that there's never a time in which you can't come to him and say, I'm so sorry, I've blown it again. And every single time he says, come. Or do you see him as one who stands up in heaven and says, I gave my life for you. What more do you want? He will never, ever grow weary of you coming. Why? Because he's a caring shepherd. We get glimpses of this, do we not? Don't you feel that same way about a loved one? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone dear in your life. Don't don't you experience a level of that? You don't ever want them to get to the place where they just flat out fear coming to you with yet again another need. Now, the difference is is that we, and this is why we can only get it on a certain level, our resources are limited. My bank account is limited. I want to give everything I possibly can to my children. I would love to give them everything that their heart desires. I would love to do that. It would not be wise, but I would like to do that. But I have limited resources. I also eventually just give out when it comes to my own love for my kids. There's only so much I can give. I, I reach the spot where I... But, but God's limit, uh, resources are unlimited. And his filling of your ability is also unlimited. So anytime you need him to help you give, just ask. Now, he fulfills our need as a... Sovereign ruler and also as a good shepherd. I asked Randy for his notes on this, and um, mainly because I wanted to make sure that there was a couple things that were getting across that when he set out for this series, and he sent me this statement, and he was, of course, with himself, and he said, look, David, you preach whatever the Lord lays on your heart. I mean, he, um, there's no control freak in him. But he sent this statement, and I said, i got to use this. This is quintessential Randy. Listen to the wording. One's state of peace will be determined by the degree to which our caring shepherd is allowed to be our sovereign ruler. To the degree that this great caring shepherd is allowed to rule over our lives, to call the shots, to run the show, to that degree will we experience peace because peace is not something that you're going to find from within. Peace is not something even that you should give up on. Peace is something that's found outside of us, and it's only found in a man. It's not found in a system. It's not found in a philosophy. It's certainly not found in a religion. Peace is a prince. 
And so this morning, if you are looking for help, which I hope you are, on how it is that you can actually go back to this as a couple, to this as a, as a parent and child, this as an employer, employee, whatever it is, if you're looking to see how you do this, there's no formula for you. What you have to do is to draw into the presence of the caring shepherd and say, call the shots. And the Prince of Peace will do what you can never do. Will it last for the rest of this life? I wish I could tell you it would. But because we are we, we'll walk away. In a hurricane, I am told that as a hurricane moves, it has this eye that's in the middle, and that eye can be sometimes as wide as 70 miles, or it can be as short as just a couple miles in there. But there's this eye, and inside this eye is where the greatest calm and peace is. Now, do you know what is right there? So in other words, when you go from the eye of the storm into the storm, it's called the, the, the eye wall. Do you know that the eye wall is the most destructive part of the hurricane? Now, let that sink in for just a moment. The place of greatest peace is in the dead center where the eye is. But when we venture over just a little bit right here, this is when we get into the dangerous territory. When I leave my center, not the center of me, and I leave the center of him, That's when I get into a dangerous place. You can look towards the center of yourself, or you can also just give up on the whole notion of peace underneath the water. If you get about 300 feet below the storm, you'll find that there are fish down there that don't even know anything is going on up top. But in that 300 feet, there's actually devastation that can still take place. And so some of us in the midst of our conflict and strife and anxiety want to go as far down as we possibly can, bury our heads and just ignore it. But folks, you have to come back up. When you come back up, you're going to experience all of the devastation. So rather than um, giving you a formula, I want to just read this passage and then just a quick story we'll close. Isaiah chapter 26 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The way it actually reads in the original language is you keep him in peace, peace. How does he keep him in there? When our minds are stayed on thee. When my twins were just a couple of years old, uh, they were just begun walking, and there was a particular argument that Judith and I had um, on that night. Now, we don't argue uh, a whole lot. Um, we, we do have some mild disagreements from time to time, but when it comes to fights, we, we, we don't have a whole lot of those. And on this particular occasion, we were going at each other's throats. And she left the position of being my spouse and my helpmate and then suddenly became this person whom I just wanted to win an argument with. And so it's getting later and later at night, and she's not very good after 10 o'clock at night. Okay? She turns pumpkin-esque uh, there. Mine kind of shuts down. If you get me before 9 o'clock in the morning, it's not real good either. So I'm pressing on in here, knowing that I have an advantage that if I can just keep her up long enough, she'll wear down and I'll win this argument. And what's going on is these two children in our home are, are, 
are screaming their heads off because they got the front end of this argument. We tried to put them in the bed and there was this all kind of conflict going on within them. She, of course, the wiser one said, we have got to go get our kids. So she got one, I got one, and I'm still pointing the fingers. We're walking through the hall and they get the room. We get in the room and and it doesn't look much better at all. And then she finally just says, David, we have got to pray. What are we doing? And I said, fine, you start. (laughs) And within the first 10 words of her praying, the Holy Spirit pounced all over me. And I began to see this is not a debate I'm trying to win. This is my spouse whom God has made in his image and he values far greater than I'm valuing her right now. The greatest asset in my life is right here. And I, and I repented while she was praying, and I prayed. And what happened when I finally said amen was that we realized that the kids had gone from screaming their heads off as we were trying to scream over them to argue. They had gone from screaming to sleeping. Later, and it was just a few weeks after that, We were in a particular location, and there's all kind of chaos that is happening around. It was not our house. It was a different location. And so my son is confused and bewildered, and because of the level of noise and confusion that's going on, he can't process the information. I see him getting more and more panicked, and I can't get across to him. And he just begins weeping uncontrollably and crying, and nobody can hear it. And I'm looking straight at him, and I finally just said, Dawson! His little head looked up. And I said, come. And he waddled over there to me. And by the time he got to me, going through people and around under legs and across and always still going on, things being thrown, he finally gets over to me and he looks up. And I just said, hello. And he got a grin on his face and I picked him up and I held him. And he just smiled. God... God has taken care of the conflict with him by our mediator, Jesus Christ, dying a death on a cross that we would not have to die so that we could live with him. God has taken care of the conflict with him. The only way that we will experience the peace of God is by first embracing the peace with God. And once we do that, then the only thing we can get is when we are in his presence. That's when we get peace. Peace isn't about absence of anything it's about presence with the prince let's pray Heavenly Father thank you again for who it is that you are and what it is that you have done on our behalf Lord forgive us for straying for walking away from you believing that there's somewhere else that we're going to find this peace that we so desperately long for but thank you that even now Lord, you do not condemn. You invite us to return once again to you, to repent and turn towards your son, Jesus. So help us to do that. Whatever conflict and strife we may have in, Lord, we trust you. We believe that you are bigger than it. We know that you are capable of handling it. So give us your peace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. 
please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.